So, uh, so yes, it is Trinity Sunday. Whether you know it or not, you have been fully indoctrinated. All of the music, all of the words, all of the lyrics have pointed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the day that we celebrate uh, the Trinity in the Christian church. Uh, it just happens to be Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to you as well. Um, if you're not familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, by the time I finish, you may actually care less or be so confused it won't matter anyway. Um, but if you're visiting with us, I'm especially glad that you are with us as well. And uh, just know that I am not the regular preacher, and so no matter what happens in the next 20 minutes, you'll come back uh, after Elizabeth gets home from vacation. So um, when I'm, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and read the Scripture. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'll read the lesson for uh, today. It is uh, Romans uh, chapter 5. And I'll read the first uh, five verses. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's always good to have people looking out for you. So about that, we're good. Sorry about that, y'all. So shortly after I uh, became a pastor in 2011 and before I had uh, officially started seminary training, I attended a preaching workshop. I thought, okay, I'm going to be appointed to a church. They will expect me to preach. I probably should learn how. So I went to a preaching workshop where the Reverend Dr. Tom Long, who is the professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology where I attend, was doing a lecture. And in the opening comment of his lecture, he said... Every 50 to 75 years in America, there is uh, preaching has sort of a nervous breakdown. And I believe we are in the midst of one, was what he said back in 2011. A nervous breakdown. I thought, well, that's a fine time to become a preacher in America. They, they don't know what they're doing, or they're, and, I'm, and here I am brand new, so... Uh, so he went on to say in his, um, in his presentation, and he, and he went all the way back to the 1700s, and he documented uh, how preaching has changed and evolved, uh, and the art of communication has changed and evolved in the church over a couple of hundred years. And so his point was that as the congregation evolved, they began to they began to hear differently and so the art of communication needs to respond with the hearer and so we don't communicate the same way we did in the 1800s or in the 1700s but i also will say that 
Um, I don't know if all preachers do this, but in my spare time, I actually listen to other preachers. I know, it's a sickness. But I'm still trying to learn, you know, I'm trying to get my voice and trying to learn my craft. And and I've come to my own conclusion. And, And what I've come to understand, and I've listened to a lot of preachers, and I think one of the things that's going on in the pulpits of America um, is that the preaching has really become sort of egocentric. And not, not so, maybe not so much about the preacher, but certainly about, about the congregation, the hearer, the people. The messages are more often than not how to be better. I mean, it's fair to say that you're already good people, you come to church, but we keep preaching how to be better. Better husbands, better fathers, better wives, better uh, better mothers, um, better followers of Christ, better witnesses of the gospel, right? And and so we've we've moved away, I think, uh, from preaching the message of the gospel, the life-changing message of the good news um, of the gospel, In fact, we probably, I would think, I say, as a new pastor, a relatively new pastor, I, I would say that I don't think we do a very good job of teaching uh, the doctrines of the faith in general. In fact, I would guess that today there will be probably more sermons preached across the country about fathers or fatherhood or even the love of the Heavenly Father than, than about the Trinity the triune God, the God in three persons. The doctrine of the Trinity is, without a doubt, the most difficult concept to grasp in all of Christendom. And so we typically just avoid it. And uh, we just don't talk about it. In fact, one theologian um, wrote that as a result of this uh, aversion to it, Christians are, and this is a direct quote, Christians are in their practical life almost monotheists, which means one God. Meaning, should the doctrine of the Trinity be dropped as false, the major part of the religious Christian literature that we publish could still remain unchanged. Because we don't teach it or talk about it. And it's difficult to say what difference it makes in our lives, if any, or the practice of our faith. It is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that makes us who we are. Our very identity of Christ- as Christians rests on this understanding. It's important. We need to talk about it and we need to understand it. And yet... It truly is a mystery of the faith. In the same sense as the virgin birth, the elements on the table at communion, the waters of baptism as they are poured on us at baptism, we don't know how they do what they do, but it is an expression of our faith that we believe They do what they say they do and what the Bible teaches that they do. And and I think that the Catholics and the uh, Orthodox Christians get this right when they simply are content to say it is a mystery of the faith and they're okay with it. There's no need 
uh, for certainty. And I think that may be one of the things that we work too hard at, uh, maybe in the Protestant church, is to explain everything. But having said that, it is important that we talk about it today, and so I will. And just so that you know that I've done my homework, uh, I'll offer up this uh, definition of the Trinity, the triune God. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. There you go. Any questions? So we can move on from there? All right, the Trinity is a mystery. But the question is, the real question is, what does it mean and what difference does it make? The, uh, the central question being addressed by the, the Trinitarian theology and ultimately by the church doctrine has to do with the substance and the nature of God, classically expressed as, as you heard, in God, there is one substance and three persons. Although, this understanding is not expressed in one particular place in the Scripture. You can't turn the page to it, point to it, and say, there it is. But you can see it all the way through Scriptures. Gen Genesis 1 said, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. God was there. And the Spirit was there. And John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus, the Son, was there at the beginning with God, with the Spirit. And then later on in the creation story, the text alludes to the Trinity when it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. Our image. Who is the hour? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There from the beginning, before the creation of the world. 
We see the presence of the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit occurring throughout Scripture. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, as I am in the Father, right, as the Father is in me, I am in the Father. And then he says, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will be in you. And so that is, it is the same understanding throughout and, and this really is who we are. The Father is God. The Son is no less divine than God and likewise the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, not three or multiple gods like Greek mythology or ancient pagan, pagan religions. Not even three separate distinct forms of God. This is why the analogies don't work. Anything that, that gives preferential treatment to one over the other or uh, dismisses one or discounts one in favor of the other has all been labeled heresy. We see in the triune God not a God that is at a distance, but as a God that has come near. God came near in the garden with Adam and Eve. He came near Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He came near Moses in the burning bush and, and the Hebrew people in the, in the fire and in the clouds. He came near in the womb of the virgin mother. He came near as He lived among us and gave Himself up for us. No Christian understanding of God. No, I'm sorry. God is not this huge ego in the sky that is constantly demanding to be worshipped or sacrificed to or standing by waiting to smite someone who gets out of line. No, that's not the God of the Christian faith. The God who created us came near, lived among us, suffered for us, and fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit to live by faith in relationship with the one who created the universe. That's who we are as Christians. It's fundamental to our faith. According to St. Paul in the scripture text that I just read, it is, it is how we find peace with God. Prior to that particular passage, he spent four chapters preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that we're reconciled to God. Then we are filled by the Holy Spirit and we find a peace that we can get in no other way. It's the only thing that satisfies our restless soul. This is what we were made for, to be filled with the Spirit and live at peace with the One who created us. This is not because of the emotion of love. This is the nature of who God is. God cannot love. It is who God is. 
There's no distance we can travel. There's no sin that we can commit. There's no brokenness or despair that can separate us from God in a way that we cannot receive the love of God. This past week, there was a um, there was a sports camp here on this campus um, that was uh, conducted by uh, an organization called Sports Outreach. And they used sports to communicate the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the love of God to kids as they play games. And, and so they spent a whole week here. And I had a chance to speak with the regional director about middle of the week, see how it was going, check in. And, and he was telling me that he was working with two different groups of kids this past week. And, and as the week went along, the devotion of the day uh, turned toward the love of God. And, and he asked the kids questions. How do, you, how do you see the love of... How do you see love? How do you experience love? What is love? And of course, you know, these kids, uh, our kids, your kids, uh, the children from the community, they... they uh, introduced into the conversation the love of their parents and their siblings and their grandparents and their Sunday school teachers and their teachers at school and their coaches and all of those people that are in their life that express love to them, they saw that as something special. And then so it was very easy to make the connection to the love of God, right? But he was also working with another group of kids at an orphanage. Kids who are wards of the state or have been taken from a home uh, for uh, domestic reasons. Kids who have had a pretty bad experience in the home asking the same questions. They had nothing. They had nothing. They had, had, not, they had not had enough experience of love of another person to be able to connect the dots between the love of the people in their lives and the love of God. The idea that God was a God that could love them was foreign. They've not seen it. They've not experienced it. It hasn't been on display for them in any tangible way. And maybe that resonates with your own personal experience uh, or someone that you know. Maybe, maybe you've not had positive experiences of love from another person. Or maybe one, someone who said they love you uh, did not treat you well or mistreated you or even hurt you. Maybe like the kids, your family life didn't communicate a positive image or message of love. So then how can we understand the very nature of God who is love when we have not experienced it in the people around us? Like all good Sunday school questions, the answer is Jesus. There, somebody went to Sunday school. Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. But not just Jesus. The Father and the Son are part of that. It's not a distant God who set the world in motion and stood back to just watch what happens. It is a God who is constantly 
coming near, emptying God's self for the sake of His creation. God has been on this downward trajectory from the beginning of time all the way to the tomb, to the hole in the ground. God came near and came nearer and came nearer. Self-emptying God. Giving Himself away and giving and giving to the point of death on a cross. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, how deep the love of God is, that's it. It's Jesus hanging on the cross, pouring out Himself, withholding nothing, all the way to the tomb. It is the full of expression of the never-ending, self-emptying love of Almighty God. You'll see on the front of your bulletin, and I'll, I'll ask Caleb to put it up on the screen, the Trinity, an image that was uh, introduced to me a few years ago, and, and I was immediately drawn to it. And I have since then learned to love it. And I wanted to share it with you. And so there are a few things that I want to point out. It is uh, it's called an icon, or it is an iconography, painted by uh, Russian artist uh, Andrei Rublev in the 1400s. And there's a lot going on in there. You can Google it and uh, study it for yourself later, but um, I, there are a couple of things that I want you to see. Notice that all three persons are the same size, all of them are carrying the same staff in hand and all three sit on the same type of throne and they're all bearing halos and wings. Each figure is clothed in the same type of garment but are individually distinct. They all share the blue, you can see, the intense blue. But each also has some of its own individual color. And look how the person in the center and the person on the right are leaning towards the person on the left. The one clothed in the veil. The one who is barely seen. The Father. The person in the center clothed in deep purple and gold symbolizing the anointing of the King. And the one on the right in the green signifying new life. While looking at the face, and you may not be able to see it on the screen, but in your bulletin, it's almost impossible to look at the face of one without being redirected to the other. This is that otherness of the Trinity, where God does not call attention to God's self, but pours out God's love through the other. And so there's this constant pouring of God into the Son and God into the Spirit and the Spirit into God and the Spirit into the Son. And it's, it's this dynamic procession of where the love of God and the Son flow through the Holy Spirit into the world. The Holy Spirit that we're baptized with. So that others, right, so that it will flow through us into the world. We're not to, to block the conduit. We're not to block the flow. We're allowed to allow it to be seen by others. 
Christian folklore says that in the original painting, and you can see it just below the cup, there is a square. And the legend goes that in the original uh, painting, that where that space is, there was a mirror. And you can see that the three images are in a circle, but it's not closed. No one has their back to you. You're sitting in the image. And originally it was said that there was a mirror there that you could see yourself because you've been invited into this holy space where the love of God pours through each other. In conclusion, as we close, I want to take you on a journey. And so I want to invite you, if you will, to close your eyes and I want you to use your imagination. And I want to, if you will, imagine that we are going on a hike. And we're heading to this beautiful place in the western North Carolina mountains. And as we leave the hustle and bustle in the city of Charlotte and we head towards our destination and we begin to leave behind all of the distractions and all of the pressures and the to-do lists behind. And we begin to anticipate a day of rest and relaxation away from the city and into this gorgeous place of which we've been before. And we arrive in the parking lot where we will begin our hike and as we begin to walk into the woods, there is a sense of relief as all of those things have now left us. And we enter the coolness of the forest. And the further we go, the more relaxed we become where somewhere along the way we begin to hear the ripples of water that probably has been there all along, but we have been so busy and distracted that we haven't paid attention to it. And the, the brook, the babbling brook, is simply a small stream of water splashing against the rocks as it heads to wherever it is that it's going. And we hike deeper into the woods, beginning to feel the freshness and the coolness of the forest. And the water... And the sound of the water begins to increase and the volume of the water increases and we are drawn to it. And the babbling brook becomes a stream. And we continue on our hike towards maybe where the water is coming from without knowing how far it will be. And we hear the strength of what appears to be a waterfall. Where the water is falling from 50 feet high over the edge to, from some place that we don't know where it comes. And it plunges toward the earth into what we assume is a bottomless pool. And the mist of the water fills the air. And it settles on our skin and on our face. And it is refreshing. And we just simply want more of it. We take off our shoes and find our way to the waterfall where we gradually 
get underneath this water completely covers us refreshing us invigorating us washing us cooling us and we have been renewed and in that moment you know you have experienced the never-ending overflowing self-emptying love of God that brings you peace In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. God, for a love that is unending and comes from places which we do not understand. For your word that teaches us that it is shared between the triune, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit not for its own purposes, but that it invites us in so that we might receive it and participate in it and that this expression of love would overwhelm us, cleansing us, and proceeding out of us into the world. God, what a gift this mystery of the faith truly is. I pray that in this day that we will re be renewed by it and claim it for our own. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You stand with us and respond. I pray that you have received this love of God for the first time maybe or for the hundredth time. Let it wash over you that you might find peace. Go into the world in the strength of the Spirit, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ our Son.